Hello and welcome to Broad and Fried's, the cricket podcast partnership with raw pace at one end, a little bit of spin and guile at the other. I'm Stephen Fry. And I'm Stuart Broad, hoping that I'm the raw pace. Yes, I guess I'm the spin and guile. Of course, the beauty of podcasts is that the listener chooses when and where she or he will be listening. So some of you may be listening weeks after we recorded this in foreign climes. Uh, But some of you might have got up early on the day this particular broadcast is released and know that it's the day of the first match in the World Cup. Uh, the ICC 2019 Cricket World Cup. It's the day we start our journey to be world champions, that's what you mean? Oh, from your lips to God's ears, as my <laughs> grandfather used to say. Yes, I, I have to be a little bit honest here, Stuart. I, uh, like a lot of fans, I, I get very nervous about confidence from the side that I support. I, I almost want to see us losing in warm-ups and, and not taking things for granted. But everyone is so confident about this England side. Do you think that's justified? It's your year, isn't it, Norwich City? Yeah, it should be. England, World Cup, Ashes. I'd love your optimism. You could be the lucky charm. Of course you're right, of course you're right. Now, you're looking, um, I have to say, you're you're glowing, you're always glowing, but you look as if you've been through the mill somewhat. What what have you been up to today? Well, actually, this morning I had my uh, England fitness testing, which (laughs) is, uh, everyone in their work has something they dread, don't they? And something that sort of scares you for a few weeks leading into it. And um, Yes, your HR assessment or whatever. It's a tricky day. It's one of those days you just got to get through, you know, we do... You know, two, what do you do? Two kilometres on a uh, under seven and a half minutes, which on, is on a, on a, with all kinds of machinery attached to you. Uh, no, actually, it's just you've you've got a time frame. You've got to go for it. So um, it's it's quite brutal. And we get our fat percentage taken and press ups, pull ups, planks, all those sort of things, just to check we're in good enough condition to be an England cricketer, I suppose. <laughs> Please, please, please tell me you passed. I did pass. Yeah, <laughs> I did pass. It was. Uh, I don't think. Well, I'd hope that you don't get to a stage where they say you're not allowed to play for England if if you can't. I suppose. Quite. But it's no, um, no one has failed in your memory. Um. Well, I'm sure they have, but it's. Uh, it's. I think. I mean, they're just designed to make sure that you stay in condition all year round, and rather than. I think we do them three, four times a year rather than do them once a year and yeah. you can work hard for a month leading in and not do anything for the rest. So it's, you know, the game's gone really professional. Oh, it's, 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 so you can see that in the way these World Cup teams are shaping up, can't yeah. you? They look great athletes. And look at the fielding. It, it, I mean, it's, it's possible, isn't it, that the side that wins, I think I heard someone, a commentator, say the other day that the best fielding side is almost certain to get to the semi-finals just because they're the best fielding side. That will save them how many runs? 20, 30, 40 runs, potentially. That's perhaps a little bit of an exaggeration. Not just the runs. If, if you run out... And the run-outs, yeah. Quinton de Kock, or if you run out Jason Roy, Joe Rue, it, it can win you the game. Yeah. So it's... Um, I mean, the fielding's been worked hard on for a long time, but I just think the... The more athletic the, I mean, John T. Rose is a great example, isn't yeah. it? Herschel Gibbs, but when you have seven, eight of those type of athletes in a in a fielding team, it's a different kettle of fish, really, isn't it? And and still, just on your fitness, because I want to sort of, as it were, pinch that loaf. Uh, is it a different test for for you, a fast bowler, than it would be, say, for a Joe Root, a batsman and occasional slow bowler? Uh, I think we have uh, the same team fitness testing so the 2k run and sprint testing push pulls planks those sort of things and then we get individual testing that's an aim to sort of continuously improve you as a as a as an athlete really so i think they might differ between batsmen and bowlers but 
Um, yeah, it's, these have only been in two or three years now, I think. Um, it used to be the old school bleep test and yo-yo tests and all that sort of thing. But it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's part of the, the job that you've... You've, to enjoy the great moments, you've always got to go through a few tricky yeah. ones, haven't you? I remember being astonished when I, I joined the board of Norwich City, and, and I hadn't known, it's just ignorance, I'm sure it's reported in the papers and everyone else knows, but I hadn't known that each player has these devices on them, so that the the soon as a match is over, they're told exactly how many miles they ran with, you know, in, in the course of the game. And, yeah, GPS. And, yeah. And all of that. I mean, yeah, every, our bowlers wear those. hide. Really? Yeah, so you can... Uh, I mean... I've not worn them consistently. If I was an 18-year-old starting now, I would because they can tell you what your perfect run-up speed is if you bowl a great spell, um, what percentage of effort you're putting at the crease. So you could find your perfect perfect rhythm. Yeah. Um, they used to say of young bowlers, and we could come on to Geoffrey Archer perhaps, who, who counts as that, that, certainly when it comes to test matches, there was this tendency of some captains to over-bowl a young bowler, that it's possible that they'll, what, get them out of alignment, uh, it exhausts them in, the, in a way that is genuinely put them out of action for a while. What, what is the risk? Um, well, I, I remember a test match where Freddie Flintoff bowled 52 overs or something in one innings and was out for the rest of the summer. So there's certainly a way you can overbowl. <laughs> I mean, we, we probably average as a bowling unit individually between 17 and 21 Ks a day in the field. Not in obviously bursts, though, in bursts. Obviously, yeah. we have times where we stroll looking at the clouds <laughs> uh, from fine leg to fine leg. But, um, or indeed off the field. Yeah, nip off and have a quick cup of tea. I think. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's a it's it's a much more physical game than some people realise. I think, and um, you do have to be good athletes. And you know, I think looking at this England World Cup squad, they look extremely fit. And yeah, we might look back at that if we win it with no injuries as a real big thing. Yeah, now and now, of course, between now. Uh, as we're speaking, and the ashes build up, you'll be concentrating on playing for your beloved Not- Nottingham, um, and you might miss quite a few of the world, the World Cup games. I am going tomorrow, as we speak, to the Said Oval. very proudly that was. Yeah, I'm going I am. I, I still. Uh, there are not many things that, that excite a jaded old ass like me. I've seen everything and done everything. I haven't really, but but going to a cricket match, especially a, a World Cup match in my own country, is still gives me a bit of a thrill. And to see this side, you know, we're playing South Africa, which is capable of being an incredibly exciting you know, cricket side. And uh, we have, wow, what have we got? Well, Joss Butler alone is is worth the entrance money to any match, isn't he, if he's in form? I've never seen anything like it. Is he a freak of nature, as some people say? I mean, where does it come from? Is it just lots of rehearsal as well? Rehearsal, that's the actor in practice, <laughs> sorry, in his dressing room, um, in his nets. So what, what would you say makes him stand out? Is it just natural talent? Hugely naturally talented. Mm. I think I played against him in 2010 when he'd have been 19, 20, and he could hit the ball 360 degrees, you know, yeah. flick it over third man, fine leg, and he's developed amazing power over a number of years as well. Um, he's a credit to actually professional cricket because he trains incredibly hard. I know that's very easy to say, yeah. but actually he's someone you can watch me being a, an older player at 32, you can watch and go, wow, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, I think Kohli's similar in, in the India setup. Um, and he's one of those people that you just want to have success. Yeah. You just look at him and he's, he's such a nice guy. He's sort of cool, calm and calculated, very passionate about playing for England. Uh, and 
I mean, it, I've obviously I'm involved in the same um, team as him yeah, and stuff, and he, he really yeah. is someone who, if he gets going in a one day game or a T Twenty, friends start texting. Joss is going here. Get the TV on. Uh, He's one of those, yeah. isn't he? You, yeah, absolutely. You, you want to watch him go from fifty to a hundred more than anyone else. Yeah. Um, so he has that that X factor and. If we're and to he's win, no mean wicketkeeper. I mean, he's a natural athlete. He can hurl himself left and right at incredible speed. So. Yeah, he's one of these um, annoying people who's good at everything he does. <laughs> if you know what I mean, yeah. you know, he's he's brilliant at football. He'd be great at rugby. He's brilliant at running. You know, it's he's just a natural, talented sportsman. A bit like AB De Villiers was for South Africa. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, I I gather the the two best footballers. Maybe you would claim you were uh, in the in the top five, but. But Chris Wokes and and Josh Butler, because uh, I know you you play a lot of. Um, Who's given you that information? <laughs> I must have heard. <laughs> Who it has given you that information? Is it not true? Well, I've I mean, heard Stokes is the worst. Well, you're he's very, just a thug on you're the pitch. Very very accurate here. I'm just I'm worried where you're getting this I information keep my ear from. To the ground, Wokes <laughs> is an, a naturally talented uh, footballer. Yeah, Aston Villa fan, so he's obviously delighted yes, this week. Be, um, I'm a. A clumsy centre back who you throw up for a corner to get your goal. Right. No, I think I'd operate nicely at League One Championship, but I think I'd get found out with the pace of the Premier League. Right. That's fair. That's honest. Um, yeah. But yeah, Joss is Joss is extremely competitive. Um, so if he goes one nil down, he'll he'll start to you know lose lose his mind a bit that's um, interesting you should say that because you, you've gone some way to say what a nice guy he is and I know Chris Wokes is also immensely popular in the side all, all the sides seem to like each other um, and, and for, for us non-athletes we often wonder if there's a divide between being intensely competitive and, and being nice that, that you have to you know give it up and that's always been an England problem or in the past, we've thought of it. We're not capable of putting our foot on someone's throat, as the saying goes, and the Aussies always have, but are perfectly charming to meet afterwards. Do you think we've resolved that? We've squared that circle. We now can be nice guys, but we can put the foot on the throat. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think probably Vaughan's 05 Ashes team uh, showed the next generation the way to do it, yeah. really. Um, the, the, I think we were probably scared of Australia as a nation leading up to that from 86 to 2005. Yeah. Australia were warriors in our eyes. You know, how, how on earth are we going to face Shane Warne? You know, I think yeah. we actually played cricket against the names rather than the ball and the bat. And Vaughan, with his captaincy, changed that mindset for the next group coming through. Um, and there's sort of been no fear from that next generation um, and has helped us win the Ashes more consistently. I mean, Australia haven't won the Ashes here since 2001, which is... It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary, really, when you think about that period from my dad's era in 87 leading through to 05. Um, so I think there is definitely there's a, the extreme competitiveness that cricketers bring and, and England have, have got that in them now. And there's a lot of talk, isn't there? You know, when coming to the Ashes, this will uh, uh, be much more important with the famous Duke ball, the the, the make of cricket ball that uh, obviously England has chosen to use, which n- notably swings more in the air. And you more of a seam bowler, but nonetheless, both you and Jimmy Anderson both get lateral movement. It, it, it can move to the off or to the into the batsman in in ways that only have to be quite small to confound a Test batsman when they're on a length and in the corridor of uncertainty outside the leg stump, but they don't know whether to play, and they could play on into the stumps or they could feather a catch to, to behind the wicket or, or the slip cordon and, and that's obviously the way you know big cricket works um, but Virat Kohli whom we might come to in more detail later 
some people regard as the greatest cricketer in the world, certainly one of the finest batsmen beyond question that we're likely to see in our lifetimes, probably. And he seemed to learn a lesson last year uh, about playing the ball late. And he's communicated this quite publicly to the Australians. If you're going to come to England and they've got a Duke ball, you must all learn how to play the ball late. And I'm thinking, don't tell them that. I don't want them to know the secret. Does that worry you when you hear that? Or do you think that's all right? We've still got tricks up our sleeve. Uh, it doesn't worry me. I think there's that much information available to players now through, yeah. um, you know, obviously, TVs and And there are bowling coaches, and of course. Yeah. The, there's that much information. You can certainly learn how you want to deal with conditions, but actually putting those practices into place is hard. Yeah. To have the skill to just... It's easy to say, oh, I'm going to go and play late today. Yeah, and you can do it but, to bowlers in your own nets, but when it's Stuart Broad who's, who's To do it at the height of pressure in yeah. an Ashes test yeah. with 17,000, 18,000 people roaring, to actually be able to go back to your basics and say, this is what I'm going to do, is a real test. And that's... I mean, Coley last year played beautifully in England he he was an example him and Rahani had some great partnerships where they left the ball outside of stump they did play late they were very patient um but we're talking about Coley who is a once in a generation cricketer yeah, yeah he's he's yeah. like the Bradmans he's going to be the cricketer that people in 60 years talk about as um the special one of this time I think that's, so yeah. it's Tendulka Kohli you know it's it, it, he he was able to put a huge amount of talent to the test having yeah. suffered in 2014 and I think he came here and averaged 10 or 11 yeah. I'm guessing there but he didn't hang around a long time but he needed that tough period to then go yeah this is what I'm going to do and that's what makes people great at the yeah. end of the day they learn from mistakes because yes. everyone makes them um but the Aussies are coming over with only a few experienced players that have played here before. Warner, Smith, yeah. big examples. Yeah. Um, so it'll be up to our bowling attack to put them under massive pressure early because yeah. you can't let players like that settle. No. And and talking of Virat's place in world history, which I think we can all agree on, and if anybody's seen him practising at the Nets, do you know that YouTube of him practising at the Nets that just went viral and people were gasping? Oh, in Australia, where yeah. he's hitting the, the sound of the ball was just... Like, <laughs> yeah. And, I've had and enough of that from 22 right. yards. Yeah. And, and all kinds of you know, people were, you know, great cricketers were saying, uh, I've never made the sound... You know, the, the ball coming off the bat's never made the sound like that. Ponting and people saying, how does he do that? <laughs> And and a lot of it is work, and a lot of it is, uh, you know, uh, just natural talent. But he seems to be one of the most committed, complete uh, perfectionists in in the game, doesn't he? And in the field, he has a charisma and a speed, and you can't take your eyes off him. It's quite extraordinary. He, and an aggression. And yeah, I think. Clear aggression. I don't. Mean, I don't mean that in a negative way at all. I think when you're playing for your country or a team that you care about, you've got to have. An aggression, yeah. a, a direction. Oh, and, yeah. And I think India really follow, his team follow him in that. Yeah. You know, he's, he's pretty uncomfortable to play against. And I, and I think that's quite a compliment. As you say, England yeah. in the 90s as a cricket team, I'm sure Australia walking <laughs> off going, oh, they were quite fun to play against. Whereas Virat, you walk off the field and go, cool, you know you're in a battle there. And that's yeah. the same with the likes of... Jimmy Anderson, Ben Stokes, you know, you always feel... And yourself. I noticed when you said the word aggression, your eyes slightly widened and there was an intensity that went into them. Yeah, I actually you wanted known. to grab a cricket ball. I was like, all right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you're known yourself for your aggression. But you're not going to be playing in the ODIs and you've, you've sort of settled 
you know you've come to terms with that that and and you would you agree with that that you're not a the ODI player that should be picked or do you, does part of you think why didn't they pick me oh absolutely i agree with the yeah. the way the team has gone yeah. i think i i had great opportunities with the white ball i played mm. a lot about yeah. 170 i'm definitely over 115 odis yeah. for for england i've i i really enjoyed my time i played yeah. in three world cups um, which we weren't good enough to compete in. So uh, I can't look back in any regret because I was very proud to represent my country in that style, that format. But the era I played in didn't catch up with the game as quickly as this England side has. So I yeah. think uh, full credit to the way Morgan oh, Morgan has led the side, made the changes that he needed to. It's the best top seven in world cricket, I believe, with the yeah. bat. Uh, and the bowlers find ways to take wickets with, obviously, Adil Rashid being the key with the leg spin. Yeah. So I am sitting here in a nice position, still being an England player, but watching yeah. this as a fan uh, well, and desperate to to see us go all the way come 14th of July. Well, yeah. And, and let's just quickly, before I wanted to, uh, we do a sort of jargon, uh, uh, jargon of the week, and I've got one which is connected to ODIs. And, um, and uh, I wanted to talk about the eternal cricket question. Cricket would not work as a game if there weren't some kind of balance between bat and ball, famously and obviously. If bowlers had found techniques and grounds were in such a condition that batting was well nigh impossible and that 80 was a good score, people would, would, would lose interest. And if tracks were so flat and, 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 and batsmen so uninhibited and able to score freely and the conditions were so perfect for them that 700 was a natural score in the test match, again, people would give up. So... It, it seems always to work. It's a kind of miracle. that Bowlers learn new things and batsmen learn new things. But in ODIs, it can look as if bowlers are onto a, a really, I was going to say sticky wicket, but it's not sticky wicket. It's quite the opposite. It's very hard for them to get them to move the ball after an over or two. And um, batsmen have seemed to have mastered almost every ball. And uh, Does that worry you? Do, do, do you think that something needs to be done to change the rules of ODI cricket so that it just stops these we're going to get into 450 500 in a, in, a, in, a, in a first in, in an only innings one day in ODIs the bat seems to rule so much I don't know if I'm allowed to swear but it is bloody hard work being a bowler <laughs> in white ball cricket it really is it's it's you're constantly looking for something to make you slightly unique yeah. whether that's the perfect Yorker someone like Malinga who bowls with a real sling in yeah. his action uh, you need two slur balls that move away from the right-hander and move away from the left-hander. Uh, a lot of bowlers need this sort of back-of-the-hand slur ball now. Uh, you need to be able to bowl a slur ball bouncer, a fast bouncer. It's it's tough, yeah. but that's your job as a bowler. You need to find a way to pick on a bats- batsman's weakness. You need to... So in a test match, all the analytical stuff I do is looking at dismissals of where a batsman would edge the ball or if you nip back to towards the stumps um, and I'd look at maybe where what where does he score his most amount of runs yeah if it's through the covers if it's through the leg side I know a line to bowl and whether to, in length to work him backwards onto the back foot and then to bring him on the front yeah foot the so I, I'm very much looking at my strengths as in this is what I'm going to do to get that batsman out whereas in in white ball cricket now I think you you're, the analyst work you do is 
where where is he hitting these balls for six? Mm. Where's his weakness where he's hitting the least amount of balls for six? <laughs> you need a, not necessarily I'm going to get you out on this ball, but actually where can I get one run? Yeah. Where can I get you off strike? Uh, yeah. Certainly when they get 20, 30, 40 runs yeah. you know, on the board. So it's, you, you it, don't want that to sound defensive, but you need a defensive yeah. mindset to take wickets and not go for runs. Yeah, really. and, and the word that's used to cover this sort of uh, uh, arsenal of weapons available is variations, isn't it? That a bowler has to have these variations, these slow balls, as you say, that can be off cutters or leg cutters. And, and there's talk of the balls that grip the surface and balls that don't. And all these are achieved by various arcane means that you will understand, but I don't. And even Joe Root, as an occasional off spinner, has in the one day game, has, a, has, has leg spin. Uh, he, he's capable of doing, uh, you know, which is astounding. Yeah, he's practiced that for a long time. Too. And actually, part-time spinners can be, for a couple of overs, quite tricky to face because they maybe don't get the same rotation as a regular spinner. Yeah. Maybe the ball can land on the seam or land on the shiny side, uh, yeah. the leather, which makes it come out the pitch differently. So it's quite hard to settle to a rhythm to. Um their action might change undeliberately, which makes it trickier to pick up. So, yeah, I think you're, in one-day cricket, you're constantly looking for little tweaks, little changes here and there that doesn't allow a batsman to just settle in a rhythm and yeah. and just keep striking the ball. But yeah. we will see over the next six to seven weeks, batsmen get in and score big hundreds, that is for sure. Yes, I can't wait. Ha. But also wickets. Want to see lots of wickets. Good wickets and good runouts. All the excitement of cricket. But I wanted to concentrate now on this, uh, on some jargon. And uh, for those not particularly familiar with the One Day International, the ODI as it's called, such as the uh, uh, as the World Cup and the rules it's played under, there are these mysterious things people may notice when they see it on television that, n- that next to the uh, batsman, next to the score, it will say P1. And a lot of people go, what does that mean? And it's short for this mysterious thing called power play. And perhaps you could take us to what, what a power play is. The power play, P1 particularly, yeah. is the first 10 overs of the innings where the bowling team is only allowed two fielders outside the in, in a ring. Right. Um, generally, they're a third man or a deep square leg. Um, so it sort of restricts which bowlers you would use because spinners like more people on the boundary to be able to protect so you generally use your faster bowlers Um, but that's only for the first 10 overs of of an inning so it it creates an opportunity for batsmen to look to score quickly because if you pierce the inner field you're more than likely getting a boundary Uh, so it's quite exciting to watch actually p1 Uh, and then once the 11th over arrives you settle into having uh, you're allowed four fielders outside the ring until the 40th over, which I imagine they call P2. P2. They do. <laughs> and then you're allowed, just to help the bowlers a little bit, one extra fielder out, so you're allowed five fielders in the last 10. So, yeah, look, you, you only have the two power plays to look out for, um, but the first one is two men out. The middle one is four men out. 
the final one is five men out. And you can look out for Paul Rifle and various other uh, umpires doing a most extraordinary gesture of whirling their arms around anti-clockwise, I think it is, in order to indicate that a power play is... Which you're either. now doing on a podcast. Which yes, no which is no use to anybody. But <laughs> believe me, I look an idiot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and there are other things we might as well uh, familiarise uh, listeners with, and uh, which are special because they're not laws of cricket, they're just particular rules of the ICC World Cup and other ODIs. Um, and that is, for example, the DRS the the uh, referral system that is used, you know, the famous Hawkeye in order for 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 the umpire off the field to to adjudicate, uh, you know, appeals that are that are, uh, are sent to him for LBWs and runouts and so on. Uh, if a side asks for a for a referral, in other words, say the umpire says that's out, and the batsman says I I want a referral, um, there and the referral is wrong, i.e. the umpire was correct, then they have no more. There's only one chance to do this in an ODI, I believe. Is that right? Well, this is where I'm delighted you're such... Your knowledge of cricket is so wonderful <laughs> because... Um, I'm pretty sure that's right. But there's this thing called umpire's call we should be aware of. Yes. So if if someone appeals, it could be for a run-out, it could be for... But, but especially for an LBW, say, and the umpire says that's out... And if the ball grazes the stump, uh, less than half of the ball would have knocked off the bales, then the batsman is still out, but only because the umpire gave it out. And if people can follow me, that doesn't mean that the batting side loses uh, their appeal because it was so close in that instance. The, Could I have explained that better almost certainly? No, no, that was good. It was. It's basically if... The Hawkeye colour at the end goes green. Yeah. That's great news for the batsman. Yeah. If it goes orange, so that would be umpire's call. Yeah. That sticks with the umpire's original decision. And if it goes red, that's great news for the bowling team. So, you know, as a player, when you're out in the middle and you're staring at the big screen, just waiting for that Hawkeye to come down, (laughs) all you're waiting for is a red line. That means... So, because it's got to be obviously a fair delivery, so they look at the foot first and then that quickly, they they turn to to, to where it pitches. Uh, uh, You know, if it pitches outside a leg, they don't have to look any further because that can never be out if a ball pitches Mm. outside a leg stump. But if it pitches out off stump and, and then moves in a bit but doesn't make contact with the pads in front of the off stump is still outside then again it's not out so that has to be green yeah it's great drama actually i quite enjoy what i mean it's great being out there because you you have the emotion of getting a wicket yeah the excitement the the best seven seconds ever where you're celebrating and then a batsman will do this sort of tea we're going upstairs (laughs) type shape and then you've got another minute of watching screens going on and you, all yeah. 11 of you going oh what do you think oh it's close it might get it get down get down <laughs> yes, all that you hear the third umpire going fair delivery take fair me to deli- the yeah. tracking please and then <laughs> you get the emotion again when it's when it's given out yeah. um, and the heartbreak when it's not so it's i think it's quite a a fun addition and the amazing technology also for the of the stumps both now the stumps as well as the bales light up when a ball hits them so for a run out you can you can see the side on view of the bat travelling quickly is being spread in does it make its ground or not and the lighting up of the of the stumps which is astonishing yeah that helps the crowd a lot yeah. i think because you 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 see the the moment of impact yeah and just adds a bit of stardust to a bit of excitement doesn't it, it so does. um yeah even just talking about this 
cricket just wants me to get watching and playing. It's it's an exciting summer. Well, we've covered the power play. We've covered all the details of it. And it's probably time to have a little bit of a relaxing drink of some kind. I've got this marvellous vintage water here, which I'm really looking forward to. And uh, you've got, I see, some protein shakes. So we'll, uh, we'll be back in a sec after these messages. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. Well, there we are. That was nice. Hope you had a good time during those messages. Talking of those messages, very quickly, before we get to listeners' questions, Stuart, messages, advertising. Have you ever done any advertising of which you are, I wouldn't say ashamed, but which you won't necessarily want us immediately to go to YouTube and look up pictures of? (laughs) Um, Well, I did once pose as a milkman by Tower Bridge for a quick delivery advert quick delivery i get um, it so there was a nice pun involved there but uh yeah i it, actually when filming the advert the, a little crowd arised and uh put me under a bit of pressure to deliver my <laughs> sort of nutritious and fast delivery type line <laughs> which, uh, which i'm sure um, it's discoverable online just look up stuart broad milk quick delivery i think you'll find it everybody yeah i never seem to live it down particularly <laughs> jimmy anderson and greg james seem to just randomly message me a, a picture of myself dressed as, as that they've got a few 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 skeletons in their advertising uh, yeah cupboards. they get pictures back yeah don't worry <laughs> and i'm no one to throw stones either but there's also worth looking up virat kohli's pimple advert if you haven't seen it it's, it's very funny that extraordinary he sings in i get what i think is bollywood style it may be a completely different style um uh, about uh, about pimples and, and it's weird and if i were <laughs> if i you know i know i'm of course can't play cricket at all but i do think that there's something about my rather annoying mind that might make me a good sledger and 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 a, and a good unsettler of of opponents um, I remember, for example, suggesting uh, in I was staying in Headingley. I was filming, uh, and I was staying in not in Headingley, but clear near to it in the same hotel at the Australian side. And um, Agus, uh, uh, Jonathan Agnew, the BBC BBC's cricket correspondent, was staying in, and I was having breakfast with Agus. And uh, Merv Hughes was tearing into the England side, and I said to I said to Agus, I said, Do you know what? What they should one of the batsmen should just come out with no helmet. Because he's burning these furious bouncers. And it's just, it's a sort of FU, you know, okay. And and they'd be prepared, obviously, to duck for every ball because it would drive, but it would drive him offline. He'd, try, he'd be so annoyed by the insouciance of an England player daring to face him without a helmet. And I said, well, sure. Anyway, I was in the filming, I happened to be in a breaking film, and I was, of course, so I was listening to the, the BBC's, you know, Test Match special. And there was a, a pause, and Fred Truman was on with Agus. <laughs> And Agus said, I was having breakfast with my old friend Stephen Fry uh, this morning. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, crikey. (laughs) I'm not kind of Fred's kind of person, you know. (laughs) All that university learning, all that crap, you know, all that sort of Yorkshire stuff coming out. And and he had an interesting idea for the English batsman. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> he, said, he thought perhaps they should try coming out without helmets. I, I'd, I'd like to see that, that Stephen Fry, the facing Merv Hughes. And, and Agus at least had the, 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 the wit and grace to say, but, but Fred, you've always said you disapprove of these helmets. Yeah, but, no, yeah, but nonetheless, yeah, nonetheless, what, what right has he got? <laughs> anyway, I felt. <laughs> anyway, but uh, similarly, if uh, because of Virat and his pimple cream, I'll get to the point of this, uh, is I think the batsman should just, uh, when he's at, uh, fielding at, um, uh, you know, cover or, or short mid wicket, um, uh, scampering around, the, he could just be ready to take a ball from a bowler and say, oh, oh sorry, sorry, umpire, could you ask that um, player there to... to mask his face he's got these pimples and they're just reflecting into my eyes I can't see properly see, see if that worked I don't know <laughs> maybe yeah, I, don't, I wonder whether what's wonderful about listening to you is I wonder whether Virat Kohli's ever been mentioned in the same story as Fred Truman before <laughs> it's probably not that's very true very true anyway we should attend to our questions and what if, what's, strikes you well I'll ask you one first this is clear from Benji Orr wants to know what was the favourite wicket you've ever taken Oof. Good question. Uh, I th- anytime you take a key wicket, you yeah. know, we talk as a bowling group, key wickets would be a Coley, A.B. de Villiers, Steve Smith, Steve Smith yeah. Michael Clark. Anytime you get one of the kingpins of a batting lineup, it means a lot because, A, you generally need to bowl a really good ball to get them out, but you've talked in meetings and, you know, you, you've, you've planned your way through it and it, you know it's a dagger to the opposition team and yeah. it get it's a step forward for your team. Um, the greatest memories come from taking the final wicket of a test match yeah. in a victory yeah. because nine down, you know, you've got 10 other players just desperate for that wicket to fall and the celebrations to start and the crowd watching each ball yeah. intently knowing that victory is upon us and... There's, there's some wonderful moments of doing that. Probably, I mean, it wasn't the most classical of dismissals, but Durham 2013 Ashes, we won the test to retain the Ashes. And um, I got Peter Siddle caught mid-off by Jimmy Anderson. But it was one of the greatest feelings. Like Normally you like to <laughs> knit one back and not knock off stump past the wicketkeeper, but Peter Siddle chipped it to mid-off. And just it, as it was in the air, it was like, you beauty, the Ashes are, are coming home. And... Um, yeah, that was uh, that was probably my favourite wicket. Ugh. Have you ever broken a stump? Uh, disappointingly, I don't think I have. No, because um, I can't remember. The sight of them cartwheeling out of the ground. There must that must be a very special. It's thing a great feeling. Yeah. It's a great feeling. Yeah, in the mornings you sort of get get out to the middle and have a word with the grounds. We can just you know just water the the stump holes a bit, <laughs> make them loose if you can. So yeah. that noise. It'd be nothing worse than running in, trying to bowl quickly, and it just hits it, you go, doink, the stump just stays there. That'd be horrible. <laughs> Ball bounces back to you. But yeah, it's it's a great, I think it's one of the most wonderful like theatre sites yeah. of stump flying. It um, is. And and not wishing to, you know, you don't need to, to diss baseball in order to celebrate cricket, but baseball doesn't have a, an equivalent. It's just, it's just a third strike. Isn't it? There's not that clatter of the castle, as they call it. It's it's very magical, and the sound, where the particular sound that a a stump can make when it's really well, it's it's a sound as a bowler from the crowd as well, because you you get a moment of waiting when the ball is edged to the slips or a wicketkeeper, as you're not sure if it's going to be a dismissal. Whereas as soon as that ball strikes the stumps and the crowd see the stumps go, it's an immediate roar. So you always see a bowler. Almost celebrate a bit more because you don't have a wait for a catch or an umpire's decision. It's yeah. stumps gone. I can celebrate the wicket. 
So it's, it, I think bowling someone through their defence is is the best dismissal. And and they say a batsman's you know the mo- one of the most important discipline for a batsman is is if they make a mistake and they're dropped or they're nearly caught or they you know they they're just somehow bamboozled by a bowler is to put that ball out of their mind completely and just address the f- the next one as if it's you know it's, it's all gone forget about it. And with a bowler, it's almost converse. The, if you get a brilliant wicket. You always feel there's this effort not to keep trying to get wickets, but to keep trying to bowl well. Do you know what I mean? Does that yeah, I mean, ring in your head? Oh, we have, I mean, each bowler would have their own technique. I've, mm. I've got this thing where I try and look above the stands of any ground I'm playing in because when I'm walking back to my mark, I don't want an opposition, a teammate or a viewer on the telly to know if I've just bowled a bad ball or a good ball. So if I, I, when I, until I was about 24, 25, if I got crashed through the covers for four, I'd walk back, I'd Scouting. kick the bowling marks, I'd stare at the floor, hunch back all the way, grab the ball, turn and go. And it's very hard to get over bowling a bad ball when you do that. Yeah. Whereas actually having a technique to look at the sky, it takes you out the cauldron of the heat of the battle, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and then you get the ball in your hand and you focus on what delivery you're going to bowl next. So that's my personal technique. I take myself out the arena, whether I've bowled a Jaffa or a bad ball, and it's my sort of putting that to the back of the mind and and go again. Um, And what about, just quickly, if your best friend, let's say Jimmy Anderson, presumably, drops more or less a sitter off your bowling. Can you keep us... That's when you've got to stare to space. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's, just not show your, your Yeah, you're not, you're not looking at the stands there. You're just, your head is straight up, just trying to get out of there. I mean, it's... And when yeah, you drop a ball, I mean... It's embarrassing. Some, yeah. It's so embarrassing. It's because you feel like you've let and, everyone and some, down, and some people you? look at their fingers as if trying to blame that somehow it... Yeah, you know, where's it the sun? Can I blame the sun? Where's that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I mean, I've, I've been under... At the MCG, we played the opening game of the last World Cup, 2015, and I was under a high catch. It must have been 99,000, I think. Uh And the ball got skied by Brad Haddon. I was at third man. And I I was under this catch, and all I could hear was the crowd behind me. And normally, you try and tell your mind, don't you? Like, can I focus on the ball? Can I... But cricket is quite a fast-paced game in action, but that ball seems to hang in the air for minutes when it's a high catch and all I could hear was unrepeatable words just in case my mum's listening here of Australians praying that I drop this easiest catch ever fortunately and I don't think I've ever been more relieved you know a ball went in it all went quiet I was like like a sigh of just prouder than a really brilliant catch oh absolutely absolutely because actually a brilliant catch is Reflex. A mo- yeah, it's, it's reflex. It's a moment of brilliance, and you, yeah. you, it's the expectation of the easy ones that you're, everyone thinks you're robots. Now you're supposed to catch every single time. They're, as soon as they go in, you, you're at your happiest. Oh, superb answer. I can't answer the question. My greatest wicket because they're all great. Um, well, we can both answer this one. What do you think of the New England ODI kit? It's sort of light blue pyjamas and so on. It takes a bit of getting used to when you've been watching other kinds of cricket and then you see the, in the warm-up games, oh, this is how they're going to do it, is it? I don't think it's a disaster. It's rather similar to India's uh, uh, strip, though, isn't it? That blue? Or am I... I think it will look wonderful when we're lifting the trophy. <laughs> Very it's very. It's, I think it's designed a little bit on the '92 strip, isn't it? The last time we had real success, you know, the, yeah. the likes of Botham, Stuart, Fairbrother. Yes. Um, I think 
there's a little bit of that enjoyment of how well we did in that tournament. Can we can we bring it back? Because um, it's still got it's got those little stripes That's on the, the shoulders. Feature, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I I I really like it. I think it looks it looks fresh. It looks yeah. a, a nice color of blue, and I think the players are really happy with it, which is quite important. You know, I don't think. Yeah. I don't think a player is ever going to look at a kit and go, oh, I'm not wearing that. That's horrible. No. Unless you're a sort of David Seaman goalkeeper, a goalkeeping shirt in 96 or something. But uh, I think it does make a difference when you're very proud to put a, yeah. a shirt that you, you like the look of on. And um, I don't know. I, I, I quite like it. And Australia in Norwich City colours, which is perplexing me. Or possibly Brazil. <laughs> They're in yellow and green. And Afghanistan are in sort of red and yellow, is it? Uh, well, red and light blue. Red Re- oh, shoulders. Oh, red and light blue, and, that's right. Yes. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Actually, there's talk of when England play India, of um, India wearing an away kit, I think. Yeah, I think that's probably sensible. Which would be quite fun. Yeah. A bit yeah. different on the telly. I mean, if you you're you less should... likely to confuse in cricket than you are in, in yeah. football. Obviously. Yeah, you, you, you should know if someone's running into bowl that they're not they're bowling against the opposition, <laughs> yeah, shouldn't you? But quite... someone's got it horribly wrong if uh, <laughs> Joffrey Archer runs in and bowls at Jason Roy. But yes. um, yeah, I think it's just quite quite fun for the TV audience and the yeah. people in the in the ground, isn't it? And is there a difference in the um, in the sort of flow and the give of them? Are they wait. I mean, are the, are the whites? Of of test cricket exactly the same in terms of structure and feel, or are they a bit more same fit? They are. Yeah, we, are, we are we're very lucky. We get measured. Yeah. To, oh, do you? So I, being six foot six, have longer mat shirts because I don't like my shirt pulling out when I bowl. No. So I have extended mat shirts. And obviously extended trousers. <laughs> um, I've been on a lot of cricket fields where my trousers are up by my. By my socks, generally to do with my washing, I suppose. But um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, we we we're very lucky. We get measured. I mean, I actually tried on my. I was in my garage the other day where my first tour England shirts were that I didn't play. I didn't play, so I didn't have a number on or anything. And they were massive. Like the style of sports kit has just changed so much, even in the twelve years I've been playing. Yeah, you look just drowned. I could set sail in it. You know. You just get on the ocean and away you go. It was that big. Well, when I were a lad, you know, <laughs> I'm going back now, last century. But um, when I was young, the pads had cane, but bamboo cane in them, um, which you could feel and occasionally snap. And, and you used to have to wipe them with this kind of yeah. whitening stuff. And the boots were really tough, thick leather things with really hard sort of spikes that made a particular... The, the, the sound of cricket was really the sound of, of those studs scraping on the pavilion floor. Yeah. What about buttoned-up shirts all the way buttoned-up shirts all the way. I bet you wore it down, didn't you? Running into bowl, you know, with your, with your gold chain around your neck. <laughs> I wasn't one of those gits who used their school tie as a belt. I find that really irritating. Um, and the smell of cricket, of course, was linseed oil because you used to oil your bat. It used to have a little thing at the bottom a little where you're supposed to put the oil and then rub it in and season it. It was a whole mystique oh, about it. Oh, my mum used to hate me when I was knocking in bats. Yes, you know those mallets? Yeah, you have a mallet get, with a cricket ball on the end. Yeah, get back <laughs> from school and do, 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 do. I don't know if that still happens. I'm not sure. I mean, a lot of them come ready knocked in now, I suppose. Well, that's right. I saw Johnny Bairstow in one of the warm-up games. Uh, he, he hit an enormous six. He pulled one to the, you know, a slog swept one to the leg side and then immediately called for a new bat and I couldn't quite see why. And on on came, uh, I can't remember who it was. Uh, it wasn't, it was Mark Wood or someone, came on with, with four or five of them and he looked 
looked them all and took one and shook his head. And then, then another person came on after the next over and brought him another one. So he'd looked at these four and they obviously weren't ready. So he doesn't, does he knock them all in? Would, I mean, does the, someone like Pesto, you know, uh, you know who comes in to, to, to launch straight away into big strokes? Do they... They're just all ready to go. I think I th- a lot of batsmen like to have used the bat in a net to get a, right. a feel for it. Joe Root's probably the most um, bat conscious. You know, mm. spends a lot of time working out which is his favourite bat. You know, he goes to the manufacturer and... He's someone who'd be knocking it in. Like, a bat he's used for a year and scored five test centuries, he'd still be going, dong, 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 making sure it's perfect. <laughs> um, very organised with his kit, you know, gloves perfectly arranged oh, and numbered and... Yeah, so it's it's each their own. I think Flintoff used to just pull them out of the wrapper and use them straight away. So it's um, very much a personal thing. That I wonder if there's if there's a correlation between the kind of tidiness and the orderliness of someone in the in the changing room and their cricket. I mean, because you think of Flintoff as a rather cavalier cricketer, not careless, but you know that was the, why people liked him as this kind of gloriously cavalier figure. Whereas you don't certainly don't think of Joe Root as in any way a, a sort of. Uh, uh, over orderly cricketer. I mean, he's he's just always scores in Test cricket and ODIs very quickly. It always, always puzzles you. He does these strange things on his toes, these push shots that somehow go for two, and you, they don't even look like a shot. He's got a really amazing skill like that, hasn't he? But nonetheless, you can kind of see in his cricket. Yes, I can. I can believe he's tidy and. James Anderson, I don't know, because he seems to have changed, because there's a question here about haircuts, so we can probably go straight to Jimmy Anderson, who had the weirdest haircut of anyone you ever played. must have been the young Anderson, wasn't it? Well, actually, it's a young Anderson, because he was 35 last year and he went silver. Do you, do you remember that? Oh, yes, that? he did, didn't he? he uh, yeah. I actually thought it looked really good on him, actually. It was like a, I think they call it platinum or silver, yeah. but he had the issue being a bowler, being out in the sun for three or four days. It started to go a bit goldy and yellow, <laughs> <laughs> he like so he, he he panicked and got rid of it. But he's um, yeah. I mean, when he started, I didn't know him when he had the red streak through the That's hair. Right. And he's always been quite brave on on that front. Yes, it's interesting because it doesn't seem to accord with his character, which is not, you know, he's, people laugh at him for being grumpy, but he's, he always gives ter- terrific interviews and he looks clearly like a great team player. But um, but you wouldn't think he was that sort of an uh, in the way that. Um, you know, like uh, what's he, I never pronounce his name right, sort of Giagios, the tennis player, or indeed Shane Warne was when he, you know, he would have weird haircuts for for a while, wouldn't he? He'd reinvent himself, feathered and dyed. Oh, KP05, he had KP, the yes, was it Kevin the Peterson, skunk. Yeah. What did you call that? The, Something like a skunk, wasn't it? With the yellow streaks and went yeah. blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I mean Jimmy's Jimmy's silver was. I, not a weird haircut, but just surprising. You know, yeah. when I first saw it, it was one of those drinking a cup of tea and you spit it out. Like, what has happened here? <laughs> I've not seen him for three weeks. and, and um, But actually, I thought he looked really good with it. Um, so yes. you should go back to it, Jim. <laughs> yes, good idea if you're listening, which of course he is, because all cricketers and cricket lovers are listening at this very moment. What have we got? See if you can find some questions. That, uh... There's a question of which cricketer has the most inane bizarre chatting topics when out in the field which is quite an interesting question because we do spend a lot of time out there so obviously cricket you concentrate intensely for 10 seconds and you might get 40 seconds break don't you so you have to entertain yourself a little bit your mind can drift off and um, I mean, Mark Wood and his imaginary horse is quite an interesting one take me through that just keeps him company all day and he pretends to ride it if he gets a wicket he, he'll ride the horse. Yeah, he 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 talks to it on his way back 
to his bowling mark. He feeds it fruit on the odd occasion. I've seen him. I've seen him saying, "Oh, do you want a do you want an apple? There you go, and put the apple into the horse's mouth." <laughs> And he really um, will do that. He'd probably do that even if no one was listening. He's, it's yeah, his own he's not, sort of do, he's not doing it loud enough. I mean, I field at mid-on or mid-off, so I yeah. can hear him, but he's not doing it loud enough for it to be an attention thing. I think it's just him being comfortable with something around him, I suppose. Yeah. you know. And he, he gives it a bit of a canter if he gets a wicket, almost like a thank you. Um, <laughs> a bit of a stroll. But I think it's just a habit that's... Uh, I mean, it's fascinating to watch you yes, can imagine a 94 mile an hour bowler walking back to his mark and do you want a bit of fruit yeah I you a bit of fruit you're feeling a bit tired you know you couldn't make it um, up could you but you must have come across loads of people with different type of bizarre habits or, or tactics well or... yeah in my business such as it is I mean in filming for example one, one of the I mean, people look at filming and rightly if they see especially a making of they think what an easy job there's so much waiting around you never really have to learn lines because each each take each setup is likely only to be you know, 40 seconds to a minute and so you're not learning everything you say in the movie like like you do in a play you have to learn all your lines you just learn a scene and then you go to your trailer and you know what some videos or whatever and um and you think what an, what an easy job and it is except that it it all happens when everything's suddenly ready all the lights are in the right place the camera's worked out what it's going to do as a move the stand-ins who are there to sort of Build, you know, take the heat of the the lights being set up so that you come in fresh as a daisy, and then it's uh, and action, and and you've you've got to get it right, and and of course what you don't want to look at is if you're acting, you just want to be natural, you want to flow into the scene as if you're the character you're playing. Not it's not like theatre where you project and you have to be just normal, and and actors have different ways of doing it. And I remember doing something with Jeff Goldblum, and he was most alarming. He was great at the of P.G. Woodhouse, and and. Uh, he so as a scene is coming, he he just picks up a P.G. Woodhouse novel and and reads it, and everyone is going okay. Silence on set. Everyone very very quiet, and he just goes, oh god, that Jeeves. Oh my god, that's so funny. You go right, silence everywhere. Okay, I'm ready. Um, we're going to be two actions: crowd action first, and then action on you, Jeff. You're right, Jeff. <laughs> this is just great. Yeah, fine. Yeah. And he's just to take his mind off of all of that build up of come on, is, is everybody ready? And then it's action, and he just throws the book aside like that and just goes into the scene <laughs> it's incredible it's weird it's whatever works for you i guess mm. i mean some people are very uh, uh you know they, they, people they, there was this rumor around that tom cruise wouldn't let anybody look at him before a scene and and it was very unfair on tom cruise who you know it may, may not be that scientology is your thing and you may not be the biggest tom cruise fan but he's an incredible professional he works extraordinarily hard it's very kind and nice to everybody around him but all you have to do is use a little imagination. As if he's doing a scene, like, and there's this, it's a big crowd scene. So he's standing there. He might even have a, um, a stunt. He might have to do some fighting or rolling or whatever. And he's standing there and he's thinking what he's got to do. If there are all these extras around and all these, uh, you know, crowd people even behind the camera staring at him, there is no way he can rest his eyes where he's not being stared at. Literally, he can't look anywhere, so he's got to close his eyes. So once it might happen that, that the director says, could everyone just not look at uh, Tom because he's just getting ready for the scene? And then an extra says to someone, oh, I was working with Tom Cruise, and, and we were instructed not to look at him. I mean, these film stars, what are they like? But they don't really realise what it is that he's actually... It's perfectly reasonable request you know mm. um but 
But, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, actors are the most eccentric and weird people in the world. Eric Guinness um, used, to, used to do crosswords before a take. You know, and he would, uh, um, he would just go, I'm just finishing. It won't be a moment. And then he would go like that, like that, and throw it down. And Jeremy Irons was, did a film with him once about Kafka, and he said he eventually picked one of them up, but he just wrote nonsense in it, <laughs> just <laughs> pretending that he'd done the Times crossword in three seconds. <laughs> he'd just written <laughs> non-existent words. Anyway, what else have we got? Well, here's one for you. I don't know what to say about this because it's... But it's from an Australian called Andrew Cox. As an Australian, I'm beyond embarrassment from the antics of Smith and Warner. The penalty wasn't enough. Should they ever really be trusted? Should they be allowed to represent Australia? Will the harassment from the Barmy Army be enough? Your views. Bearing in mind they might be listening. They will be listening. Yes, of course they, they, like they will, because every great cricketer is. And those two are great cricketers, if nothing else. I think, I disagree with the penalty wasn't enough. I think a year yeah. of missing international cricket is a huge penalty. Uh, I think they've served their time, they've got their heads down, they've worked hard, they've helped the community in Australia, I think, and certainly grown the game of cricket a little bit there yeah. um, with the work they've done in their ban. I'm I'm a cricket fan, so I want to see the best players play. Yeah. To me, this World Cup is a better tournament with Smith and Warner in it. Yeah. Yeah. To me, the Ashes series is a better series with Smith and Warner in it. So, yes, they they made a terrible mistake, didn't they? Um, God, yes. Which I'm sure they regret yeah. horribly. And let's not forget the Australian press is even more virulent than yeah. the British press when it comes to you know shaming and, and excoriating players. And yeah, and I, I, I and I I believe that they served long enough. Yeah. You know, they they it, I I can't even begin to think what it'd be like to be banned for a year from playing for your country um, and watching everyone else perform and get stuck yeah. in when you almost in your prime. Yeah. But they've and not seen. Kim Hughes, has, has there been such tears? On yeah, I, 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 well, I welcome them back to the playing yeah. field because I want to play against them. I think, yeah, I, think I think most England fans would say the same. We want to see uh, Steve Smith is is probably after Virat Kohli the best batsman. Yeah, they'll the bring some. Well, I think Joe Root, but we'll, we'll, yes, we'll I, disagree on that. Yeah, but, um, no, no, not necessarily. Disagree. We, uh, certainly, second equal, perhaps. We, um, yeah. I think it will bring a bit of dramatic theatre to the Ashes series. I think. Mm. We we can't we can't control what the fans will do. I mean, I've been on the re- recipient end, I, I suppose, say, especially I say in, that Australia. Right in Australia. You yeah, know, I, I um, because, partly because you there have been a couple of occasions where you haven't walked and people have felt that's outrageous. That was yeah, the one get very cross at that. Uh, yeah. The first Ashes Test in thirteen, and then yeah. Darren Lehman called for the Aussies to give me hell and all that's that sort it. of thing. So that's where it came from. And how um, do you respond to that with the barracking, as they call it in Australia? The, 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 it's the great show. fun. I you, really enjoyed it. Tough day. Yeah, I mean, it's great fun. I mean, I, it was quite intimidating because yeah. the Gabba, 45,000, great boo, big boo. You know, it was, um, it's all you could hear. And... Actually, I, I went down to Fine Leg to field on day one of the Ashes series. On the boundary. Baking hot day. Yeah. And they started singing, what is a, you know. Yes, the big turn word. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and when it, that's not just three people singing it to you. It's 25,000 in that stand all going at it. But one thing I didn't realise subconsciously, that had obviously ingrained in my brain, having listened to that for an hour, like fielding down there. 
So I was out for dinner that night with Matt Pryor and Jimmy and Cookie. And I'm there going, <laughs> whistling. Like, what are you doing? I was like, what do you mean? It's like, the broad is yeah, on. Why are, you, why are you whistling that you're a wanker? <laughs> I'm like, well, I didn't think I was. You know, I, I'd listened to it that much. I'd actually started singing it to myself. Like, broad is on. Yeah, it was weird, but I, I, I'm, I, I took it as a compliment. I actually read yeah. Sir Alex Ferguson's autobiography going to Australia. A different circumstance, obviously, but he, used to, he said in there, Patrick Vieira used to come to Old Trafford and get booed. And he saw that as the Manchester United fans paying him a compliment because if they didn't think he was a threat, yeah, they to their team, they'd they. just ignore him. They wouldn't care. Yeah. So that's the mindset I took over to Australia. I said, well, if they didn't care about me, if they didn't see me as a threat to their team, if they didn't think that I could do their team damage with the ball, they'd just ignore me and let me go. Yeah. So I took it that way. And actually, I think our England fans do see Smith and Warner as holding the key yes. in the Ashes series. And Warner's experienced this before, hasn't he? Because when he... He punched Rooty, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, do you remember when he grew that thin moustache and he arrived back and he was, the, it was booed every yeah, single time? Yeah, he was. Time. He'll be used to that. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's part and parcel of professional sports a little bit. I, I wouldn't be one of these players going, please don't boo the Aussies. It's no. not, I'm a player. It's not for me to control what no. the crowd do. They and do, the Barmy Army will do what they, they do. They do what they yeah. feel comfortable doing. They do, actually. Sports fans do what they get the most enjoyment after that day from. Yeah. If it's having a few beers and singing about the Englishman or the Aussies, then it's a bit of fun, isn't it? It's not... And every bowler that puts his hands in his pockets will go, ooh, yeah, he's got his hands it? in his pockets. What's it's... he got in there? And actually, I think the Aussies, I think the Aussies see the Barmy Army as a lot of fun. You know, they sing things that in black and white might look a bit harsh. But actually, when they're sung in good spirits, it's quite funny. It's nice. It's, it's good fun. Well, that's a good note to end on. Then, if, audience, you've been terribly good and got up early to listen to us on the day of release, England are about to face South Africa. Go on, England. Uh, yes, please. And if you're a little late to the crease, we hope the World Cup has started with a fabulous match and will continue 44 matches before we get to the semi-finals. I think it is. Uh, unless, of course, you're listening in Johannesburg or Cape Town or indeed Durban, in which case you won't be saying, come on, England. You'll be coming saying, come on, South Africa. Boom. <laughs> please, please, please get in touch using the hashtag Broad and Fry on Twitter. Send us your questions, observations, and of course, corrections. Have a great week. Have a great week, indeed. Bye for now. <laughs>